Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. We are thrilled to be presenting a seven-part series with our fantastic partner, Maze Row Wine Merchant. We are proud to present this series of interviews, diving deep into the heritage and legacy of Maze Row's excellent Italian producers. Tune in every Saturday from March 5th through to April 16th as we take an intimate look at these respected historic producers and their role as part of the Maze Row family of luxury wines. And remember to check out our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for incredible video content featuring a visit to Argiano. Good morning from California. Good evening, Barbara and everyone else. In Italy. I'm uh, Sarah Bray. I'm a wine writer and educator based in the Napa Valley. And today I'll be talking with another incredible woman in wine, Barbara Widmer, runs her family's winery Brancai in Tuscany. This discussion is a part of a series celebrating the launch of Maze Row Wine Merchants in the U.S. And I'm so delighted to continue to dive into this portfolio of amazing producers. Welcome, Barbara. Hello, Sarah. Um, hello to everybody. I'm very, very happy to be today with you. And um, as you just mentioned, good evening from Tuscany. So let's dive in. And I'd, I'd love to start with your accent. It's not exactly Italian. So can you tell me a bit about where you're from and how you landed in Tuscany? Well, sorry, you're right. I'm not Italian at all. I'm from Zurich, from Switzerland. And uh, my journey in Italy started 40 years ago. 40 years ago, my parents, they decided to spend the Christmas holiday with the whole family in Tuscany. And, uh, well, they fall in love. They fall in love with the land, with the people, and, of course, also with the food and wine. And so they decided during this uh, holiday trip that it would be a perfect spot for a holiday house. So they looked around and they found a small hill. On the top of the hill, there was a house and surrounded the house were some vineyards. And uh, that was actually uh, what happened. They they purchased this hill, which was already called at that time Brancaia and became the very proud owner of a small winery. I think any of us who don't live in Italy uh, but who have visited can relate to that feeling 100%. It's so beautiful, the rolling hills. And I think that's an amazing start to any story. But I'm curious, it doesn't really sound like making wine was the focus at first. How did that evolve? Well, it's, it's as I just mentioned, it really was the idea of a holiday house. Uh, but uh, of course, having seven hectares vineyards around the house uh, makes it very false clear that you have to take care about the, the, the land, not only the house. Both of it was in very bad shape. So the first step was just to renovate everything. But of course, they didn't really have the know-how. My, my dad was very successful in advertising business. And uh, my mom was, uh, let's say, busy with the family. Uh, so they had uh, not only a holiday house, but they had a very time-consuming and money-consuming new hobby. So they decided right from the beginning that they really want to make only high-quality. looked around for people uh, knowledge, and step-by-step, uh, step they recreated this uh, small farm. And it became just year-by-year um, year more serious for, for them, for our whole family. And uh, in the meantime, uh, they also decided, my mom decided to get somehow involved also professional every day, on an everyday base, but in Switzerland. So she started a small wine shop to sell, not only to produce our wine, but also to sell our wine. 
That really sounds like the whole family got involved over time. When did you kind of begin to grow? Because you didn't stick to those seven hectares, right? We Yes. I mean, we the seven hectares in the meantime has become 80 hectares. So it's definitely not, not, not a hobby anymore. And it shows also, of course, how much uh, my parents loved and still do love this region and also this business. So they... They invested in the late 80s. They purchased another estate still in the County Classical region. And then the, the last big step we did in the late 90s with the Marema. Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit more specifically about where these three properties are and about how big they are, what the differences are between them? Well, Brancaya which is in uh, the County Classica region, to be more precise, in Castellina County, is today about 20 hectares. And it is between, so we are in the countryside from Tuscany, between Florence and Siena, and also the second estate they purchased with Rada in Chianti, which is today also around 20 hectares, is of course in the central uh, part of Tuscany. And the Marema, Marema do we call the south coast from Tuscany, there we have other 40 hectares. So those three spots, there are for a lot of things somehow similar, but at the meantime also very different. They are all, of course, in Tuscany. Uh, they are all surrounded by forests, which is um, uh, an important point for us as we are an organic uh, winery. So we do have somehow our own island, our own paradise. If we, if we go a bit closer to uh, Rada in Chianti, that's the position, the highest sea level position we do have. Uh, there um, we will have very fresh, clean wine with beautiful acidity. It's the region where we have uh, a lot of stone in our soil, so perfect drainage, quite windy. And uh, still in the County Classical region with Castellina, you have a bit more a deeper soil where you can achieve a bit fuller body wines, a lot of, of flavors, a bit more power. In and both of them, as I just mentioned, are in the countryside, so you have a continental climate, and nevertheless, that they are very close by, you really have a quite a big difference in the microclimate. If you go to the coast, so just 100 kilometers southwest uh, to Marema, we have, of course, a quite an important impact from the Mediterranean Sea. So it's a bit more windy. It's definitely a bit warmer and it's much drier than in the County Classica region. So to make it very short, in the County Classica region, the big goal is to achieve the perfect ripeness. And in the marimba, you have to be very careful to not overripe the fruit, so not to have too much alcohol and even more important, not to have too little acidity. That sounds like you might have to approach farming a little bit differently in both places, but I think we can dive into that in a little bit. I'd love to talk about you and how you got involved. So with that continual expansion over the years, was the plan always to have you and your siblings join the business? No, um, I have I have to say I have very modern and very generous parents. So for them, the biggest wish was that my brothers as well uh, as I, that we can choose whatever we want to do in our lives. And they supported us always, and they do still support us. So for me personally, when they started to ask me, I was probably around 16, 16 years old when they started to tell me, why why you can't become a winemaker? For me, it was not 
not the question actually i couldn't imagine myself to become a winemaker not only because of the of the profession uh but uh, there is uh, no uh, no doubt about that with 16 for me the idea to take care about winemaking every day the whole year round was just not not something i could imagine and also not uh, uh, an unimportant point was the idea of moving to toscany i just started to go out in Zurich and I thought that it was quite fun <laughs> moving to the countryside right it was like oh no not no <laughs> so uh, and my brothers they also never ever had the idea to become winemakers today instead um, of course I'm I'm very happy with my decision uh, I took it many years ago and my Brothers, they're still not in the daily business at Brancaya, but they do support me as my whole family supporting me. One of my brothers uh, was in the advertising business as my father and is today an uh, entrepreneur. So he's helping me with questions of communication and, and marketing. And my other brother is actually a lawyer and a financial uh, specialist. So whenever I have some legal questions or financial questions, of course, he will help me out. Well, that's helpful. Good to be supported. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and I can imagine being 16 and saying, heck no, I want to stay in the city. It's way more fun. <laughs> <laughs> so what eventually drew you to joining the wine business and, and specifically to winemaking? Because you can you can do the kinds of things your brothers do and, and be involved, but you really studied winemaking. Was there a moment you remember that changed your mind? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I started to to start uh, to study architecture, and then um, I I still love it, and I have to say I have uh, and still have a lot of different interests. But uh, at a certain point, I start to realize that I may won't become a, a great architect. I have a very clear idea of my own taste, which is probably totally wrong, but uh, it's just how I am. And I have very big difficulties to adapt my taste to other people's taste. And uh, I thought this is not really uh, what uh, a character you should have as an architect. So I was a little bit frustrated with myself and I, I went uh, for a summer holiday to Tuscany, a late summer holiday. Uh, which sounds now very, very strange, but it was my first harvest because a Swiss uh, summer, Swiss holidays are always before or after harvest. Uh, in 90, 1993, I really had my first harvest and this was just very inspiring. It was beautiful. It was fun being with those people. It was fun going into the vineyards. It was, it's just something so beautiful to pick a ripe fruit, bring it to the cellar, having a sip of, of, of juice and then seeing just in a few days how this juice becomes wine so this was really for me a very uh, special moment and so during this this holiday I called my parents and I asked them if I can take a gap year for my studies as an architect and try to find out if wine is may my way to go of I'm course, sure they were happy to have that phone call I guess I guess they tried <laughs> to hide it but I'm pretty sure that they were uh, very happy about my call and so of course they agreed and um, and I was looking for a stage in a winery and I found a very beautiful place in Switzerland uh, which was at that time and I think it's still the biggest organic wine 
winery in Switzerland. And they they said so, suddenly, yes, of course, I can come. And so I was with them for 12 months. I did uh, six months every day in the vineyards, which was very helpful and is still very helpful, this, this experience. And then I had other six months every day in the cellar. And honestly, already the first week was for me um, so clear that I was on my way. Oh, wow. It's so important that you you got to see the full cycle of of the winemaking year and how the vines changed and got to be in the cellar for more than just harvest. That's exciting. Yes, it is. It is. And and I had I, I was very lucky to have uh, very open minded uh, people at, in this winery. So I was really able to see everything. I was from the first day a part of the team. And uh, I mean, yeah, we are speaking more than, than 30 years ago. So I would say very modern for the for 30 years ago to give a young woman without any experience, not even in gardening, <laughs> this opportunity. So then did you go study winemaking officially after that? After after that, I went to the university and I studied winemaking, yes. And then when did you move to Tuscany full time to, to be at Brancaia? That was Harvest uh, 98. In, 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 in my first three years uh, in, at Brancaia, I also had a home in Switzerland. So I went back sometimes and then uh, I started also to, I stopped also to go back to Switzerland very often. So since, since, since 98, I really are totally in charge for Brancaia, whatever Brancaia is doing, I'm part of it. Well, I want to go back to your first experience in Switzerland working with an organic winery. I think that's really something that sounds like it's informed you going forward because you've spoken about the land quite a lot. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your philosophies and and maybe even some of your views on on land stewardship. Well, there's for us no doubt about that the quality of wine starts in the vineyard uh, so our whole focus is really to achieve the perfect ripeness the perfect quality we believe actually that each single block we do have uh, in each single spot so in Rada as well as in Castellina and Maremma does have the potential to become our top wine and we, let's say in other words we really do dream to produce only high quality grapes and we do fight for this dream. That means that in every single second we 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 just do whatever we can do and we stop dreaming only uh, the moment when we do pick the grapes. That doesn't mean that we don't want to make high quality wines afterwards, but we as soon as you pick the grapes you do have to accept the reality and you have to do the best out of it. Um, if it would be a pity not doing uh, the maximum in in the vineyard, it would be uh, also a big pity if you would do too much out of a grape in the cellar. So you have somehow to accept where you are and what you have. But each single block is really cultivated by its own. It will be picked, handpicked by its own. It will be vinified and matured by its own. So we can follow each single variety, each single position, just till shortly before it's bottled so we can also get a lot of knowledge out of the the, the young wines uh, out of the wines of things we may have done perfectly well or of things we may have to change in the future that's interesting uh you were talking earlier about the differences between the two properties in the chianti classico and the maremma 
So do you have the same grapes planted everywhere to the same degree or are you modifying your plantings based on these microclimates? No, our our focus in the Chianti Classico region is definitely on, on the Sanchovese and on the Merlot. We do have also some Sanchovese and Merlot in the Maremma uh, estate, but um, if I if I could start or would have to start today by zero, I wouldn't plant Sanchovese Merlot at our spot. I would love to underline that if I do speak about Chianti Classico or Maremma, I of course speak about our estate. Both regions are big regions, that means a neighbor made us have a, a, a different uh, experience and different opportunities than we do have. But in our spot at the Maremma, it's really extremely dry and hot and the Sanchevese and Merlot they do suffer so I have uh, actually beautiful experience there with Petit Verdo, Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc uh, those three grape varieties do mature perfectly well uh, by dry farming the Sanchevese and Merlot unfortunately do need irrigation so it sounds though to me that you then plant less of those there uh, because it's so hot and dry, because you're not looking to use irrigation. Is that correct? Well, for them, I have to use, because otherwise they wouldn't uh, mature. But uh, it's definitely something in the near future. Uh, I, 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 also, I also would be happy not having any more. So our focus is on, on grape varieties, uh, which are maturing by dry farming. Uh, we believe that by dry farming, we can achieve a better and more interesting fruit and more authentic fruit than with irrigation and plus of course we do have always in our mind uh, the the ecological point of view and of course if I am at a spot where I can do, mature perfectly well a grape without using any water uh, then I just think that it makes more sense. I think that makes a lot of sense from a quality perspective as well just trying to make sure you're connected with the place you're growing the the grapes. Yeah, you have the, the roots, they are going just more into deepness. Uh, we are convinced that by dry farming, we can achieve some flavors, which are not only flavors from the grape varieties, but also from the from from the location, from the spot where they do grow. And that's very much point where which we are looking all, all the time. We want to produce wines uh, with a very strong link to the spot. And of course, uh, from our point of view, dry farming helps to achieve this this connection. So it sounds like dry farming is important to you as a tool uh, in your kind of views on sustainability. But what else are you kind of thinking about and looking at? Well, when we are speaking about uh, sustainability, we we actually try to look at it in a in a 360 degrees view. That means from an ecological, economical, as well as from a social uh, aspect. And uh, when we are speaking about social aspect, of course, our people, our team is in 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 the middle of it. We uh, really want to to give them a clear uh, feeling that they are part of. Of, of the Brancaya. We we need our people, we need them to do their best work. Uh, otherwise, we can't achieve the quality we are looking for. Therefore, we we actually try to stimulate, stimulate them to make courses. We uh, will go with them to visit other wineries, sometimes with the whole team, sometimes in smaller groups. Uh, of course, we, we 
as a team building uh, and as we just spoke we have different spots so not everybody is every day together so we try to bring those people regularly together and of course we are keen to get feedbacks from them to try also to improve wherever an improve is needed. I think it's actually so important that you make this point about kind of the social and the human side in winemaking. Um, thank you. I, I think the fact that you are looking to make people feel like they are at home at Brunkai and part of the family is, you know, you can feel that in the wines. I mean, you know, we have we have 80 hectares. It goes without saying that that I and my family we can't do it by our own. So we need we need a team. We need a team uh, who is believing in what we are believing as much as we do. So beyond your team, um, how else are you thinking about sustainability from the other sides of that 360 degree view? Well, of course, uh, there is, of course, the whole production part. But before I will speak about this, I want to show you that it goes really much deeper than that. Whenever we are doing, of course, a building, we want to use only materials from the region. All the workers are coming from the region. So we will want to keep the the whole environment here as as healthy and as local as possible. When we are speaking about packaging, uh, we are um, sensible of uh, how heavy the bottles are, so we we do avoid uh, heavy bottles. Also, the whole material, whole packaging material, is uh, we always try to find their um, material which gives us the idea that it comes from from uh, sustainable sources so old paper raw material is certificated that it really comes only from sustainable management forests uh, and uh, of course we do measure our carbon footprint uh, not every year but uh, every second year and uh, it goes without saying that it is negative but uh, with measuring it when you do measure it you have some people from outside and they will ask you thousands of questions and thanks to those thousands of questions, um, you will find every time something where you still can improve a bit. And so this is very helpful. But of course, our main focus is in the vineyards. This um, with, with 80 hectares of vineyards and uh, close, closely as much uh, forest, of course, um, there is a big um, impact on what we can do and what we have to do. And so um, it goes without saying that we are an organic uh, winery. All our vineyards are uh, the whole year round cover crop. So that's that's probably a very important and, and great point for a winery. It's true that our focus is to produce grapes. But uh, if you have a cover crop, you are actually not in a monoculture uh, situation because you have in in between the vineyards, you have a lot of different uh, other plants. You have flowers, you have grass, so you can create really a flora and fauna, which is in it, which can be in a, in a really healthy balance to, to each other. So uh, we can totally avoid any kind of pesticides and herbicides in our vineyards. And we can really see that all those steps do bring back a balance uh, into our vineyards and uh, we do have definitely um, in the meantime more birds and we do help them also with some bird boxes so they're, 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 we already did a lot and we will do even more in the future just to, to get, get the balance back to nature which is 
for us the way to produce not only healthy, but also better quality and more typical grapes. It sounds actually that the ecological and economic sides of that sustainability equation actually relate to one another. You don't have to you can protect the environment and then you don't have to pay for the pesticides and herbicides. And yeah, it's, it's not a compromise. Yes. Right. It's, I like hearing the, the way you're thinking about it as benefiting one another. Are you also seeing the benefits from a qualitative perspective doing all of these things? Are, are you feeling it in the wine? Uh, yes, we are. We are really convinced that our, our grapes, uh, they do ripe better and they do ripe also more in a more authentic way, in a more, they do have more link to the, to the position where they are. We do have, you know, if you, if you have a look today at the, at the wine industry, I mean, we are wine lovers and we are extremely spoiled. We have great wines from all over the world and every year you will have even more great wines. So this is, of course, as a wine lover, as a wine drinker, this is outstanding from my point of view as a winemaker. This, of course, means also that I do have uh, as much concurrence as never ever before. So what, what can I do to make our wines different to other wines? And there is actually, from my point of view, a very simple uh, solution to it. And of course, the solution for Brancaia is, from my point of view, the same solution for everybody else. The one thing I do have very unique is my land, my vineyard. There is nobody else producing wine at my vineyard, my grapes. So whatever I can do to link those grapes, those wines, to my soil will make them unique make them special and that's actually whatever we are doing in the vineyard is always with this focus to give this link to give this this authenticity to it and we believe that of course organic farming is helping us a lot and through organic farming we do also see that that our wines are getting healthier healthier and stronger uh, and better have you actually seen that in specific vintages? You know, we've had recent very hot vintages like 2017. And have you seen that the, the vineyards are actually looking to be more resilient against that those kind of heat spikes and extremes? We, we do think so. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's always... Uh certain doubts you always need to have uh, in 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 viticulture because you can't really compare it uh, one to one uh, or let's say side by side but we do think that in 2017 which was very dry and very hot that first of all just during the vintage we were able to achieve uh, a beautiful quality which uh, was not so guaranteed. But uh, the even more important learning was the vintage afterwards, 2018. I mean, you have to know that whatever you uh, grow in a vineyard during a year is actually a product from the previous year. So we honestly were a bit afraid that 2018 may could be uh, quite um, small in quantity because uh, the wines were stressed in 17 so maybe they didn't have enough energy to produce uh, all the information for the next vintage instead 2018 really showed so beautiful it was balanced and the quantity was there the quality was there so there was we couldn't see uh, any damage from 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 the stress from the previous year so we do think honestly that the organic farming uh, helped us and of course we are also very privileged that our wines do have a quite high 
a rich uh, age. In the Chianti classical region, we are now around uh, 35 years, and in the Marema, we are close to 30. So an older wine can manage extremes, of course, also better. Uh, but yes, we, we, we believe that, uh, that there was a quite an important uh, difference. Well, I have some 2018 in front of me, and it is tasting beautifully, and I can't wait to talk about that with you in a bit. Okay. But <laughs> speaking about vines for a moment, you were just talking about vine age and the more resiliency of the vines, but how are you approaching um, any sort of planting or replanting your vineyards going forward? How are, how are you selecting your materials? Uh, for, first of all, our, our goal is not replanting a vineyard by zero. So we would love to, let's say, go on with the same vineyards forever so that the average age of our wine would increase every year a bit. But of course, you will lose sometimes a wine and to replant those, we are using since 2017 uh, muscle selection. So that means for quite a few years before 2017, we started to uh, select the best wines in our vineyards. Um, the first selection is a, a quite an easy selection. You just walk through and, and, and you look for the most beautiful plants. And then if the grape uh, looks also beautiful, that means um, more or less small berries with uh, enough space uh, between the berries, uh, then, then that's already uh, really interesting. Then, of course, you will pick the grapes. You will uh, also make a micro-fermentation to have a check how the quality of the grape is uh, regarding the wine. And then uh, after all those tests, of course, you will also go into the laboratory to have a look if uh, those wines are not only beautiful and taste good, but if they are also really healthy. And doing this one year, of course, is not enough. You have to do this over five years to be really totally secure that the material you have selected is perfect and when you have all those steps done and proved you will start to reproduce those wines and that's actually what we are doing now so all our uh, wines which are replanted are coming from our selection from our own wines and another really important point is a wine which is selected by us needs to have at least 25 years at our property it sounds like a very long multi-year process, but everything we know in viticulture and in winemaking takes a lot of time. You were just talking about some very scientific things. So is that informing a lot of your winemaking or are you seeing that, you know, science is just a tool uh, in your approach to making your wines? Well, you know, I'm, I'm Swiss, so I try to be very precise. And uh, so it's, it's, we have a, a huge database and uh, we try to compare one with each with the next we try to compare one vineyard with the next we try to make a lot of tests and we try to do them as precise as possible but uh, on the other side i truly believe that winemaking is not uh, not not science it's never really totally precise because we always have have nature in between so whatever we are doing uh, it's actually impossible to do it one-to-one -one exactly the same the next year because it will be another vintage it will be another condition so uh, for me for me winemaking on high level is 
is obviously a bit more philosophy than, than science. You have to believe very much in what you are thinking. Um, on the other side, you have to try to be open-minded to uh, try new things. Um, and this balance between being extremely convinced in something and at the same time being open-minded makes it very interesting and very challenging. Talk about how many different wines you are making. Well, uh, we are doing actually uh, one white wine and a rosé, but of course it goes without saying that our main focus is on our red wines and uh, we do have six different red, red wines in our portfolio. In the Chianti Classico region, we are producing um, a Chianti Classico Anata. It's 100% Sanchevese, very light, fruit-driven, uh, beautiful, high acidity. And we have a Chianti Classico Reserva, which is already more structured, more body. It's 80% um, Sanchevese, 20 Merlot, and matures uh, for 16 months in barrels, in small barrels. And so instead in the Maremma, uh, we have uh, Ilatraya, which is our flagship wine uh, from our Marema estate. Uh, it's a beautiful blend of uh, 40% Petit Verdot, 40 Cabernet Sauvignon, and 20 Cabernet Franc. And then we have, let's say, the little brother of Ilatraya, we call number two, as it is the second wine from this estate. It's 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. And then we have uh, what we call a baby super Toscan. Uh, it's Brancaia Tre. It's a blend of both regions. Uh, we call this wine Tre because it, it's a blend of the Castellina, Rada and Maremma, and it's also a blend of free grapes, Sanchevese, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon. Our top wine in the Chianti Classico region, it's a Super Toscan, and the name of the Super Toscan is Il Blue. That's the lovely wine I have in my glass, and we, <laughs> okay. can, we can dive into it. We have some special okay. things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. The packaging of Il Blue, which, anyhow, Il Blue packaging is always, uh, for us, very special, because our very unique label, this um, square, this blue square and the black square inside is a label uh, designed by my father 30 years ago. And uh, may you can imagine how special this was, this label design was 30 years ago. So when we had last year with the 2018 hour, uh, 30 years anniversary, of course, we had uh, somehow the issue to do something special. I mean, it's your anniversary. You want to celebrate it. You want to to speak about it. You want to show to people that uh, you have to celebrate a very important uh, milestone in, in your work. And uh, so we fought uh, for quite a while and uh, it took us not so long to be convinced that whatever we wanted to do, it had to be a Brancaia label, it had to be very clear and ill blue label. So again, there are not so many things that you can change and you can work on. Uh, uh, this process was very interesting for us because we learned again that with just a few little things, you can actually change a lot. So for the first time in our history, we um, uh, used a different kind of paper. The Brancaia labels never had a structure. Now they are a cotton uh, paper, so it feels thicker, it feels more natural, um, it feels somehow warmer. And the black inner square become golden, which gives us, of course, the idea of anniversary, of celebration, and makes it even more elegant than uh, it has been before. And then it does have a beautiful wooden box and uh, on, on the top of the wooden box our logo is uh, actually done with the recycled metal uh, 
plat, so it gives also the idea of recycling, but it gives also the idea of something that does change with time, which we do think is a perfect fit with the wine, which is, of course, also changing with the time. Well, I think it's quite striking and is a lovely update to something that was already quite modern. And I know you said your father was an ad man, and I'm sure he brought some of his his aesthetic to the wine as well. So it's a beautiful update on a pretty timeless label. Thank you. So beyond just the packaging, um, can you tell us a little bit about what you taste in the wine and what you love to pair with this? Well, first of all, Il Blue, um, it's, uh, as I mentioned before, it coming, comes from the Chianti Classico region, but as we don't follow the rules for the Chianti Classico, it's an IGT or what you normally call in the U.S. a Super Toscan. It's a blend of 80% Merlot, 10% Sanchevese, and 10% Cabernet Sauvignon. We uh, pick, of course, the grapes only by hand. Uh, each single block, as I mentioned before, will fermentate separate and will mature separate in barriques, so small barrels. And two-thirds of them are new and one-third already used. It matures in the barrels for 18 months. After the 18 months, we will do our last tasting at the barrels. We will taste each single barrel just for the last quality control. Then we will blend uh, the whole quantity. And then the wine will mature for other three months in a concrete tank. It's an untreated concrete tank. That means the wine does have a direct contact with the concrete material. Um, this is very important to us because we do like to have this uh, little micro-oxidation going on, which uh, softens the tannins uh, even more. And uh, it really helps the wine to become one unit. You know, we have to imagine before each single barrel, which is 225 liter, was for 18 months by its own. And then it does have just three months to get the unit. And then uh, we will bottle the wine and keep it for at least one year in the bottle at the winery before we sell it. As wine, of course, the focus uh, clearly on the Merlot with 80%. We have a, a very full body, elegant uh, wine, a, a lot of uh, fruit flavors, but there are also some, some flavors uh, of, of, of soil, of herbs, and then uh, in the mouth, uh, it actually will be, it's, it's an elegant wine, so you have pretty high acidity, but not, not in a way that it would be dominated. So I would say all ingredients are very well balanced uh, and and uh, you have very tannins, very mature, extremely well integrated and it, it, re it remains in your mouth really for quite a while. So um, I actually want to have an hour sip, but um, I had it um, just an hour before my first sip and it remained in my mouth for quite a while. You can actually enjoy it right now. I would probably recommend it to decant it an hour before for, but of course you can keep it easily for quite a while and if you say quite a while I would say at least 20 years in your cellar. Yeah I think it has a really beautiful freshness. Um, I, I poured my glass about an hour ago as well and it, it started out so fruity and, and you could really get that juicy Merlot and now I'm, I'm getting a little bit more of the Sangiovese structure, maybe a little bit of the minerality on the finish um, from whether it's your site or the the concrete at the finish, it's yeah. it's really quite lovely. Yeah, it's it's you know, Barancaya wines are wines which are going perfectly well with food. Uh, we are we are foodie principle. We are we are always 
in the kitchen and having some food and wine. It doesn't really have to be always um, a fancy dish. It can be also just the perfect uh, piece of cheese. But uh, of course, this wine I do think goes extremely well with red meat. And uh, personally, I would say my my favorite, um, of course, coming or living, not coming from Tuscany, but living in Tuscany, I would go with the Bistecca. Of course. You know, any any kind of real big, nice uh, meat goes extremely well with this wine. Yeah, I I also would like to just note, um, for those who haven't had it, it, there's a a lightness, so it's it's got the acidity, but it's, it's also not too heavy of a wine, so I think that does go quite well with food. It doesn't always have to feel like it's packing a punch to to balance with some heavier meats so i i I look forward to trying it with a steak sometime that's good (laughs) well i think this is a wonderful place for us to in our discussion um because how else do you do you top that you just say chin chin and congratulations on 30 years (laughs) let me ask anyone here if you have a question um there's a place to raise your hand on the bottom right corner. We have Barbara here uh, for a few more minutes. Andre would like to know about your um, Gran Selezione, which we didn't really dive into too much. Can you talk a little bit about that category? Well, I actually, I didn't mention the um, the Grand Selezione because it's a wine which will be released in September. So far, we didn't have the Grand Selezione in our portfolio. And uh, our Grande Selezione will be 100% Sanchevese. So um, very, very focused on, on the typical grape variety from the region. Grande Selezione is considered today at the, the, let's say, the top quality of the Chianti Classico region. So you have a Chianti Classico Anata, which is a wine uh, that matures more or less 12 months in a cellar. Then you have a Reserva, which has to mature at least 24 months in a wine cellar, and then you have the Grande Selezione, which tours at least 30 months in a, in a cellar. It has to be, it does have also some different rules. If a Chianti Classico and a Reserva has to be at least 80% Sanchevese, a Grande Selezione has to be at least 90% Sanchevese. Of course, all of them can also be 100%. Uh, so in um, very easy, Grande Selezione is the top quality uh, today it's it's quite a new category, but today it's the top quality from the Chianti Classico region. And will it be a different colored label? I think Andre also wanted to know. Yes, but for there you have to wait uh, another <laughs> two three weeks, and then it will be official. So if you follow me on Instagram, you will have uh, very soon a clear idea about the color label. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it on with a little bit of anticipation. So follow Brancaya on Instagram. It's our takeaway. <laughs> well, if there are no other questions, I will just say thank you again. Um, it's I can't wait to come visit. Um, some come see your beautiful properties and see, you know, with our own eyes what you are doing. Your commitment to biodiversity and to sustainability is really quite inspiring. So thanks for sharing your story with us. Thank you, Sarah. And of course, whoever would love to come, we love to have visitors. Uh, it's really a beautiful spot. Uh, we do offer different kind of tastings. We have since three years also a little Osteria, so a place where you can have a lunch or a dinner. You're more than welcome uh, to come and whenever, whenever you have time and you're close by. Fantastic. Well, thank you all.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of our new Maze Row Wine Merchants series. The focus is on excellence, family, legacy, sincerity, and innovation. Tune in next Saturday for the next installment featuring another in-depth and intimate conversation with the heritage Italian wine producers that form the core of the Maze Row Italian wine family. To learn more about Maze Row Wine Merchant and today's featured producer, see our show notes and visit their websites. Don't forget to subscribe and like our show and tune in to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your pods. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.